0: my fault. Good morning, Northbrook. Good morning. We are in a series on the Book of First Thessalonians, and uh, today we continue in that series. First Thessalonians was a letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul to a church, uh, or really a group of baby believers in a city called Thessalonica, uh, which is modern-day Greece. Uh, and Paul was writing to them to specifically answer questions and address issues that had come up in this baby church. And uh, Paul had learned about these issues because he had sent his mentee Timothy to visit the people in the church and report back on what was going on. And I think it's only fair, uh, it's only fair to, uh, to understand, uh, or it's really normal that they would have issues and problems because Paul had only been with them for three weeks. Uh, it's easy to forget that. Paul went there, and imagine if, if you were living in a city, and someone came and shared the gospel with you and began to teach you, and then they suddenly left after only three weeks. Uh, you'd probably have some questions, and there'd probably be some issues going on uh, in your church as well. And uh, that begs the question, why did Paul only stay for three weeks? Well, Paul only stayed for three weeks because after three weeks of teaching in the Jewish synagogue— uh, Paul caused a riot in the city. Uh, there was a mob that was formed. They were so angry at Paul. There was a riot. They couldn't find Paul, so they found Paul's friends and a man that in Acts 17, uh, a man named Jason—I don't know why just Jason got his name in the Bible and no one else—but uh, Paul's friends and Jason are dragged in front of the city officials, and uh, they have to post bond money to be released, and so Paul sneaks out of the city later that night. And that's pretty bizarre— but for Paul, that's a pretty average week. Uh, if you read, uh, read the story of Paul's life and his adventures, Paul was constantly causing riots and angry mobs and, and angering city officials and Jewish leaders and being tortured and beaten and thrown in prison. In fact, at the end of Paul's life, Paul could have written a, a very good travel guide of prisons of the ancient world. That was pretty average for Paul. But it's in that context, uh, it's in the context of Paul's life that his words to the church in Thessalonica are so interesting. And today we're going to be studying two verses, but it's so important to realize who is, who is saying this. Paul is, is saying this. Paul is writing this to the church in Thessalonica. And frankly, uh, it's a bit bizarre, a bit odd, and Really fascinating. So check out what he says to first, uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, to the church in Thessalonica and see if you notice anything interesting about what he says. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. That's a little ironic, isn't it? Paul is writing people who just watched him cause an angry mob in their city. People that were dragged in front of the city officials, and now Paul writes them and says, "Hey, uh, why don't you guys live a quiet life?" My dad had a phrase growing up. Whenever he saw hypocrisy, uh, whenever he saw someone telling people to do something they were he wasn't willing to do himself, he would say, "Pot meet kettle." Anyone use that phrase? I think that's like an older generation phrase, but um, pot, meat, kettle. I, as a kid, I had no idea what that meant, but I was pretty sure it wasn't good to be the pot or the kettle in that scenario. But in this moment, as I read Paul's words to the church in Thessalonica, I kind of want to be like, uh, Paul, pot, meat, kettle. Like, really? I mean, that's a bold move, Paul. Writing your buddy Jason, who got dragged in front of the city officials, will be like, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you live a quiet life? And it's more fascinating when you look at Paul's other writings, because Paul seems to say the exact opposite thing in many of his other writings. For example, to the church in Rome, in Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Then to the church in Philippi, Philippians 1.14, Paul says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And then writing to his mentee Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, he says, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And of course, there's a lot of other verses I could reference, but I think you get the point. It seems like Paul contradicts himself here. Throughout Scripture, he says things like, you guys need to be bold and unashamed and and loud for the gospel. And then he writes to church in Thessalonica and it's like, hey, live a quiet life. So what's going on here? I don't know. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Like most of Paul's, actually all of Paul's writings, context is important. Context is important. Now, in Thessalonica, like most large cities, there were groups of people that spent most of their time screaming and yelling at each other. So thankful in 2023, we don't have those issues. In Thessalonica, and in most large cities of the time, there were groups of people uh, that would spend their time debating and arguing over certain things, getting all worked up, and yelling and screaming. Uh, it was very common for there to be controversy and drama in these large cities. And there were even some groups of people uh, who were rich enough that they had servants and slaves. They didn't have to work. And some of these people, not all, but some of these people would grow bored, and so they would go looking for drama. They would go looking for controversy to entertain themselves. And this was so common in the large cities in Paul's day that writers during that time began to coin phrases for two groups of people. They would call people that looked for drama and looked for controversy and were always in the middle of these, they would call these people loud individuals. And they would call people who minded their own business, didn't get involved in the drama and the controversy, uh, they would call these people quiet individuals. In fact, the Jewish philosopher Philo, in a number of his writings, refers to people that minded their own business and stayed focused on what they needed to do. He called them quiet individuals. So when Paul writes to the church and he says, live a quiet life, they would understand that phrase in that context. And they would understand that Paul was not saying to them, hey, don't proclaim the gospel. Um, don't share what you believe. Don't stick up for what you believe. Paul, they would understand Paul wasn't saying, uh, hey, just don't say anything. Instead, they would understand that what Paul was saying was, hey, don't get distracted by all of the nonsense going on in your city. Stay focused on what's truly important. And then Paul continues and he says, mind your own business, work with your hands. There was a group of people in the church. Remember, Paul had only been there three weeks. They were still figuring this out. There was a group of people in the church that were like, well, if Jesus is coming back and when we die, we're going to go to heaven anyway, like, why work? We're just going to sit around and wait for Jesus to come back. And they'd stopped working, they'd stopped providing for their families, they'd stopped helping their neighbors, and they were just sitting around going, well, Jesus should be back any day now. And Paul writes to them and he says, no, 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 you don't understand, you misunderstood. Stay focused, mind your own business, but continue to work with your hands, continue to provide for your families, continue to love your neighbors, continue to live your life, and in doing so, you'll win the respect of those outside the faith. Two verses make a little more sense in that context, right? But what does that mean for 2023? What does it mean to live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands in 2023? Couples in the room, uh, do you remember the first movie that you saw in theaters on your, fr- on your first movie date? I was t- uh, someone last night came up to me and they said, we're not sure if that movie was in color or if it was in black and white. I like, That's how you know you've been married a long time. Our first uh, movie date that my wife, Sean, and I went, uh, we, we remember vividly. It was 2005. It was the movie Yours, Mine, and Ours. It's a cute movie. But the reason that we remember the movie so vividly is there were three women that were behind us that decided to provide running commentary the entire movie you ever, like, seen the director's cut of a movie where the the director makes comments throughout? Like, it was kind of like that. It was kind of like the director's cut with three women behind us. And at one point, I just wanted to be like, okay, we get that Frank's neat freak ways are going to collide with uh, Helen's uh, free spirit. But can we just let it play out? Whenever someone's talking during a movie, it's distracting. It's hard to focus. Anyone have a friend or spouse that likes to talk during movies? Oh, a few of you. raised your hand really. Well, that's, that's awesome. You're just putting your hand down. That's, that's great. It's hard to focus. Uh, I officiate weddings, and recently, over the past few years, more and more common announcement that I'm asked to make at the beginning of the wedding is please silence your cell phones. <laughs> Hang on, that's God. Let me get that. <laughs> right? Because a cell phone going off distracts. In a, even in a really important moment where you should be able to focus right a wedding if you're you're in the middle of the vows and everyone's trying to focus a, a cell phone noise outside noise distracts us from what's truly important and so when Paul says live a quiet life what he's what he's what he's not suggesting is that we just keep our heads down and we don't witness we don't share our faith we don't stand up for injustice right we just Live a quiet life. No, Paul's not saying that. What Paul is saying is we all have outside noise in our lives that tries to distract us from the things that we were meant to do. And living a quiet life is trying to lower the noise around us so we can focus on what we're meant to focus on and we can do what God is calling us to do. In the Old Testament, there's this story that I think illustrates this idea Paul's idea of living a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands. It's in the book of Nehemiah. It's about a man named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was working for the king of Persia uh, when he received word that his hometown, Jerusalem, the walls had not been rebuilt. Now, some context for that. Uh, many years before, uh, the Jews had been living in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been destroyed. The walls had been broken, and the Jews had been forced into exile. Fast forward many years. Well, now Jews were being allowed to return to Jerusalem and begin picking up their lives, living in their homeland. Uh, and so uh, Nehemiah was obviously excited that his, his, his hometown was being rebuilt, that the people were living there. But then he receives word the walls had not yet been rebuilt. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to you and to me. Right? 2023, I, I'm guessing no one uh, lives in a city that has walls around it. But in Nehemiah's day, walls were a big deal. Uh, the, the The closest way that I could describe it for us living today would be, if it would be like buying a house that didn't have doors or locks. How safe would you sleep, How how safe would you feel, and how well would you sleep at night if your house didn't have doors or locks? In Nehemiah's day, if a city didn't have walls around it, any barbaric group could attack during the middle of the night, kill, slaughter, do whatever they wanted. And so walls were security, they were safety, they were dignity. And so Nehemiah hears that the walls of Jerusalem have not been rebuilt, and he feels this deep desire on his heart to go back and rebuild the walls. And so he gets the permission of the king of Persia, who he works for, and 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 he he receives the favor of the king of Persia. He receives resources, and so he goes and he travels to Jerusalem. He recruits men, and he begins to rebuild the walls. And then there's opposition, because every time that you do something meaningful, I don't know why we always get surprised as human beings, any time you try to do something meaningful, there will be critics and there will be opposition. It just comes with, it's the price of showing up. And so Nehemiah begins to rebuild the walls. He's trying to do this great thing. And there's some men that don't want Jerusalem to become a prominent city. They don't want the walls rebuilt. And so they harass Nehemiah. They try to stop Nehemiah. And eventually they hatch a plan to harm him. And uh, and so th- he's building the walls and they, and they send a messenger and say, Hey, let's talk about this like, come on, let's just just figure out a solution that works for all of us. Why don't you come meet us? And I love Nehemiah's response. In Nehemiah 6.3, he receives the message. Now, he doesn't know the the plan that they've hatched, but I mean, he knows something's up. And in Nehemiah 6.3, this is his reply to the message from those men. He says, I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. And Nehemiah would go on to finish the wall. Did a great work despite opposition. And in that story, the story of Nehemiah, I think there's there's some things that we can apply to our lives in 2023. And so I want to take the story of Nehemiah, combine that with Paul's words to the church in Thessalonica, and I want to give you three thoughts on uh, the time that we have left. Three ways that I think we can actually work out this idea of living a quiet life— and I'm, give you, I'm going to give you all three, and then we're going to work through them one at a time. So the three thoughts from the story of Nehemiah, combined with Paul's words, Thessalonica, are identify the work, believe it's important, and notice distractions. Identify the work, believe it's important, notice distractions. Nehemiah had a moment where he identified there was an opportunity to go and rebuild the walls. But he still had a choice of whether or not he actually said yes to that opportunity. It would have been so easy for Nehemiah in that moment to come up with excuses to not do the work that God had asked him to do. Nehemiah was 900 miles away from Jerusalem when he received word that the walls around Jerusalem were not rebuilt. Now, in Nehemiah's day, 900 miles meant it would take him three to four months to make the journey from where he was, working for the king of Persia, to Jerusalem— There's a lot of reasons to not undertake that journey. I mean, for all Nehemiah knew, by the time he made that four-month journey, someone else may have decided to rebuild the walls. The walls may have already been rebuilt. Furthermore, he was working for the king of Persia. He would need the king of uh, Persia's permission. He would need his blessing. He would need resources. It would be a huge favor. There's a lot of reasons. And also, Nehemiah knew that not everyone would support the walls being rebuilt. There'd be opposition. There'd be death threats. There's a lot of reasons to go, yeah, maybe not. Maybe I won't do that. But Nehemiah couldn't shake the feeling that God wanted him to. Nehemiah identified the work and he stepped into it, not knowing the outcome, not knowing. There's no guarantees the walls were going to be rebuilt. There's no guarantees he was going to succeed. There's no guarantees he was going to get there and the walls were going to still need to be built. And I'd also like to point out that the work didn't start when Nehemiah heard that the walls need to be rebuilt. See, sometimes I think we, we, we I know I can get into this Uh, this mode of being that believes that there's some seasons in life where God gives us work to do and there's other seasons where we just kind of like hang out. But I don't believe that's true. I believe God is very clear that he doesn't waste any season of our life. There is no season of your life where you are not doing important work for God. It may be mundane, monotonous, boring, behind-the-scenes work, but it's still work that God values Think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah, for years, did important work, and that work was serving the king of Persia. It wasn't glamorous. I'm guessing there were days it wasn't fun working for a foreign king. But apparently, Nehemiah did that work well, and I believe that because when he asked the king of Persia for a huge favor to go back and rebuild the walls of his home city, the king of Persia said, Yes, absolutely. What do you need? And that tells me that Nehemiah was faithful in doing the work of serving the king, even though it was behind the scenes, even though it was boring and monotonous. Nehemiah was faithful to do that work in that moment. And because he was faithful to do the work in that moment, he was entrusted with rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. See, some of us in here might go, well, the work that I'm doing right now as I raise my kids, as I care for my aging parents, as I go to work and show up to provide for my family, like the work that I'm doing right now, it's not important. There must be something else that God wants me to do. And the truth is, you may already be doing the work. When Paul says to the church in Thessalonica... Live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands. Essentially what he's saying is, no, 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 you don't don't understand. As you provide for your families, you're doing the work. As you love the people around you, you're doing the work. Don't get distracted by other things. Like, you're, you're doing the work. So what is the work that God has given you to do in this season? Before we can go any further, it's important we identify, like, in this season of life, what is the work that God has given me? Maybe some of us are in an exciting season where we feel God has put something on our heart and it's a big, audacious dream and we don't know how we're going to do it. It's kind of like Nehemiah, like going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We just have this, this desire in our heart that God is placed to do something big. But maybe for others of us, we're in this monotonous season where we're serving behind the scenes, we're serving our families, we're serving others, we're serving at church. And, and it's not glamorous, but it is the work that God has given us in this season. So number one, identify the work. Two, believe it's important. Nehemiah believed the work that he was doing was important. I guarantee you, if he didn't believe it was important, he would have stopped. Because he was harassed, he was persecuted, he gave up three to four months of his life just to get to Jerusalem. And then when he's on that wall and the people come to him and try to distract him, he he says, hey, I'm doing important work. I wonder how many days Nehemiah had to remind himself as he faced opposition and death threats, And it was just a lot of work. A lot of whining and complaining by different people. I'm doing important work. See, as human beings, the only way that we as human beings can do great work is if we believe it's important. If we don't believe that something we're doing is important, eventually we either stop doing it or we do it half heartedly. It's just just the way we're wired. That's why 90% of New Year's resolutions fail. Because at the beginning of January, we can convince ourselves, this is important. But then by February, we're like, do I really need a beach body when I live in Wisconsin? And it's not as important. You ever had a, a resolution that you made that felt really important in the moment, and then as time went on, you were like, "Yeah, this actually isn't all that important. A few of you. My wife and I, uh, a number of years ago, we, we decided that we were spending too much money on coffee out And uh we decided, all right, we're just gonna we're just gonna make coffee at home. So we bought a nice espresso machine and uh you know every every day make an Americano and just take it with us. And that worked for a while. But you know what you can't do? You can't put an espresso machine in your back seat for when you're running errands and just like fire it up. It doesn't really work. Just a side note, you know, we have like self driving cars. So I don't think it's a stretch to ask for espresso machines in the glove box real soon. So for those of you that are inventors in the room, that's what I want. I don't care if a car can drive itself. I want it to be able to make espresso. But in the beginning, we were like, yeah, this is really important. And then as time went on, we're like, yeah, is it really that important? Like, coffee's not that expensive out. And eventually, we, we abandoned our resolution. We only follow through with things when we think they're important. Sometimes in life, when we're in seasons of monotony, when, when life is mundane, when we're serving behind the scenes, one of the best things that we can do is remind ourselves that the work we are doing matters to God. That the work that we are doing, loving the people around us and faithfully doing what God has called us to do, it matters to God and it's important. It's great work. Young person in the room, as you continue to get an education, And as you continue to grow in your character and your understanding of who God is, don't let anyone tell you that your teenage years are just meant to kind of be wasted until you grow up and actually start life as an adult. You're doing important work as you grow in your understanding of the world and of God, as you grow in your education, as you grow in how you see the world and love God. That is important work, and your life doesn't start when you become an adult. Your life has started, and you're doing great work right now. Just because your friends decide to waste their teenage years just because just because someone tells you, "Oh, you can just kind of like hang out and wait, no, no, no you 're doing great work. it matters. Parents in the room it 's hard to parent right now I was talking to um, Shaan and I were talking to David Thomas, uh, one of the foremost. Uh, voices in the parenting world right now in America. Um, David is a counselor at a Christian counseling place in Nashville. We we brought him in last month and he did a, a parenting conference for us uh, and it was just phenomenal. Um, so much so that we've already booked him for next year. He's going to have brand new content. So March eighth and 9th, if you're a parent in the room, I encourage you next year to mark that off. Make sure you're here. We were talking to David and um, and David said to us, you know, I don't know that it has ever been as difficult to be a parent as it is right now coming out of COVID, all that is going on in the world, technology and all the different voices that young people can listen to. He's like, I don't know that it's ever been so difficult. So he says, I hope parents give themselves a lot of grace because it's difficult to be a parent, but it also really matters. Parents in the room, you're doing a great work. As you love your children, as you raise the next generation, grandparents that are helping with that, aunts, uncles, like, as you raise the next generation, you're doing important work. And sometimes you just have to remind yourself in the monotony of, of cleaning and errand running and chauffeuring and all of the things, like, you're doing great work. Adults in a season of transition or are, are, are empty nesters, those of you that maybe are in a season of caring for aging parents, caring for loved ones maybe retired and serving behind the scenes or volunteering in different areas. You're doing great work. This season of life matters to God. You're doing great work as you love others, as you serve behind the scenes, as you take care of people created in God's image. You're doing great work. And I would even say for those of us in the room that are maybe in such a difficult season that all we can do is just keep ourselves together, together, you're doing great work. As you hang in there and you make it through another day in a difficult season, God sees you and it matters to God and you're doing great work. And for some of us, maybe the opportunity this week is to just write a sticky note and place it somewhere we'll see it. If we're in a season that's mundane and, and difficult and boring and not glamorous, maybe, maybe we just need to be reminded to write on a sticky note, I'm doing great work. And every morning as we start with all the things we've got to do, we remind ourselves, I'm doing a great work and it matters to God. Monday may seem boring, but Monday is important to God. I'm doing a great work. So we identify work that God has called us to do. We realize it's important. And then lastly, we notice distractions. Nehemiah worked on that wall, and I love his response. Those men, they try to distract him. They try to get him to leave his work. And he says, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and he goes, there's a lot going on in Thessalonica. You guys got a wild, crazy city. There's a lot of drama. Live a quiet quiet life. Stay focused. Mind your own business. Stay away from the distractions. Now, thankfully, in 2023, we don't have many distractions. Okay, maybe we do. Starting with our smartphone. I love my smartphone, but right now, uh, there are three things on my smartphone that I I probably spend too much time. Uh, First one is pickleball videos. And (laughs) yes, I love pickleball. Second, uh, how to coach better. I'm coaching my son in baseball, so coaching videos. And then third would be brewers articles. Now, there is no limit in just those three categories of how much information I can consume. Like, just those three categories. I could spend days watching videos and reading articles on just those three categories. And here's what's tricky. Technology is, is a good thing. And and all three of those things in moderation are good. Like, like pickleball is my hobby right now. It's it a great stress reliever. And so there's nothing wrong with watching pickleball videos. I'm coaching my son in baseball. I want to be a good coach. There's nothing wrong with watching videos and reading articles about how to coach better. And I like the brewers. There's nothing wrong with reading articles on the brewers. But here's here's where it gets tricky. There's a line where all of those good things— there's a line where they, where at one point they're helping me live my life well, and then all of a sudden there's a line I cross where now they become a distraction to the life God has given me. That's what's tricky about 2023. A lot of the things that can be great can also become the very things that distract us from living a focused life. And part of the work of living a quiet life is is taking the time to process what are the things in my life that may be good, but when are they becoming a distraction from actually living the life that God wants me to live? Other times, I think distractions in 2023 look a lot like opportunities. You know, we are an opportunity culture. We love opportunities. We love options, right? Give me that catalog of all the different things that I can sign my kid up for this summer, If there's time on the calendar, let's do it. But sometimes I think the opportunities that we say yes to become the very things that distract us from the things we were meant to do. I tell this to young people all the time, but I think it applies to adults as well. Just because you can say yes doesn't mean you should say yes. A good thing plus a good thing plus a good thing plus a good thing plus a good thing does not equal a good life. It equals a stressed out life where you do nothing well. And so maybe for some of us, distraction looks a lot like opportunity. We say yes to so many things that we don't have any margin, and we don't have time to do the things that we're actually supposed to do well. John Acuff uh, is a a Christian writer that I uh, enjoy reading his books and his blog. And uh, he was at a conference I was recently at, and he talked about this idea of how he had a season of life where he just kept saying yes to everything, because it was all good things, right? Just kept saying yes to opportunities. And he got to a point where he was like, I'm doing nothing well. So busy, I'm so stressed. And so he made it a practice uh, regularly to ask himself three questions. And I've adopted these three questions. They might be helpful for some of us in the room that are like, I need more margin in life. I'm need. i need, I'm too busy. So these three questions are, what needs to be deleted? What needs to be delegated? What needs to be delayed? What needs to be deleted? Are there things in your life that need you you need to let go of? They don't serve the work that God has given you to do. They don't serve you anymore. Maybe at one point they did. Maybe you thought they were going to. What needs to be deleted from your life to create margin for the important things? What needs to be delegated? Are there things in your life, either at work or at home, that you can delegate to someone else that you don't need to be doing? My wife and I got to a point in our home where we were like, our kids are old enough. They should be helping more. We need to, we need to delegate some of this stuff to our kids. Some of you parents are looking at your kid. I give you permission. <laughs> Lastly, what, what needs to be delayed? Maybe there are things in your life that you really feel like God has placed on your heart, but they're not for this season. And you're not going to delete them you can't delegate them. But you're just going to put them on the back burner. You're going you're to put them to the side so that you can focus on the things that are for this season and do them really well. So as we close, what would it look like this week to live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands? Maybe for some of us, there's an opportunity to take some time this week and just process what is the work that God has given me to do in the season I'm in? What is the work that God has given me to do? Is there anything that God's placed on my heart that I've kind of just ignored? That God is asking me to step into? Maybe for those of us, there's an opportunity. We're in a season that is difficult and unseen and not glamorous. And maybe there's an opportunity to just remind ourselves this week, I'm doing a great work. Because I love the people around me. As I faithfully do what God has called me to do in this season, it matters to God and I'm doing a great work. And lastly, maybe for others of us, there's an opportunity to take some time this week and think about are there distractions? Maybe they're even good things. But are there things in our life that we need to get rid of so we can do what God has called us to do well? Would you bow your heads with me as we close? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your love and your goodness, I thank you for Paul's words, the church in Thessalonica. Father, I pray that you would give us all wisdom as we live our lives. We're we're not going to live them perfectly, but I pray that we would live them intentionally. God, I pray that we would be intentional to live out the work that you've given us to do, and may we know that it matters in seasons of monotonous, mundane, behind-the-scenes work. May we know that it matters to you. May we do that work well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.